You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. hello to apparently. (laughs) Well, it's great to be here with you all. We have been journeying with Jonah. So far, we've been on a ship. We've been through storms. We've been thrown into water. We've been in the belly of the whale where uh, Brian got to share share with us all that puking is good, which will be permanently burnt to our memories from now until the end of time. And then, of course, last week, we got to go on mission with Nora. And today, we are finishing up Jonah's Tough Lessons with chapter number four. And we're going to read together our scripture. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Great, that's Jonah chapter four, verses one through 11. And at this point, y'all, you all have made it through the entire book of Jonah, leaving us with a, whoa, what a mess this is. You know, I think I liked the story of Jonah more when I was a kid in Sunday school, or at least the version I was taught, because it was given to me in more of a fairy tale style with two fantastical characters. We had Jonah and this magical whale. 
And there would be all the swirling, beautiful blues of the story poster with Jonah, who is a little damp because he had just been in the ocean, but all the same, pretty cozy looking inside that whale, tucked on his knees, praying by soft candlelight. Did any of you ever wonder where that candle came from? I did. You know, either this whale has a strange diet or Jonah grabbed this candle as a last-ditch effort as they threw him overboard. And in my kid brain, I'm thinking, this doesn't seem too bad. I could start decorating the place, moving some furniture. I mean, there's a candle, so a rug would really uh, complement the place. And, and as I did this as a child, I, I began to figure that Jonah finally must have decided that the gastric juices were too much. You know, it's a little smelly, it's a little slimy. And so Jonah must have seen the error of his ways. And so he prays to God and plop, there he goes out on dry land, ready to go for mission. God is good like that. Boom, the end. Solid end for Jonah. Though to get a little older and read this, start biting your knuckle going, oh, Jonah, Get it together. If I were the whale, I'd have digested you and spared us all the rest of your tantrums. Because here he sits, he's so angry, he's seeing red, and he's stomping off to the east of the city so he can see what God does about the whole situation. And for Jonah, there are two options. Smite the evil ones, oh holy spider, or go with the this is love stuff, to which Jonah was probably gagging over. And so God tells Jonah, listen, I need you to go serve your enemies. Go take to them a word of caution and reform. Well, Jonah makes it clear that if he's going, it's either with a sword drawn, ready to serve up some wrath, or he's not going at all. I don't know about you, but I've certainly never sat around wishing for the destruction of an entire city. This is big stuff. Though Jonah doesn't get here out of nowhere. There is so much that is happening that builds up to how we see him acting. And we, we've heard about it in the sermons before today. Nineveh is an evil city and evil people and Jonah has the front row seats to see this all go down. Take for instance, what the king of Nineveh says to the people when he does decide to repent. He says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence which is in his hands. So you hear it from the leader himself. We have violence in our hands. We need to let go of our evil. And so for Jonah, this is basic, good guy versus bad guy plot line. And Jonah begins to sound a lot like David in Psalms, praying to the God of vengeance to wipe out the wicked. David did it. David had prayers like that. We saw it. We've seen God do it. So why can't Jonah? Why is he not allowed to have this prayer? Check out Psalm 17, 13. Rise up, Lord. Confront them. Bring them down with your sword. Rescue me from the wicked. This is what Jonah wants. Rise up, Lord. Take them down. Do not save them. Not them of all people. And if nothing else, if you're determined to save them, don't use me. Don't ask me to join you in this. I simply can't. I cannot stomach it. They are terrible, horrible people. 
Look at what they've done. Look at what they might continue to do. How long will you let them get away with this? When will things be made right? And really, he's not off base here. I could have spent the whole teaching today just justifying to you Jonah's thinking because there's solid evidence on who these people were, what they had done, and why the world would have been a better place without them. Jonah has seen God take out the wicked before. So do it now, God, when it really matters to me, when I have something at stake. And this, we're all more like Jonah than we realize, at least from time to time, because we can justify who we don't like, why we don't like them, and what it is they deserve. As we do that, our hearts, well, they, they'll begin to war within us at that thing or that person or that situation where it just isn't right. It isn't okay. It shouldn't be this way. If only they were put in line, if only they were set straight, if only they were told what for, then it would be okay. We would be okay and I would be okay because we all have our own Nineveh. Now, I can say one thing for Jonah. He is a determined fella. He goes all in. He starts with his mindset, and he is going to carry it through to the end, no matter what happens. He is certain, he has decided that if he leaves this in God's hands, it is not going to play out the way that it should. And so he rebels. (coughs) Excuse me. God says, go to Nineveh. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. Here he's saying, peace out, God. I'm not going to do that. You say go, and I say no way, not happening. He is so fine with this choice that even as a death-wheeling storm comes in, covers over the boat, the others, they're crying out to God for help. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Death is fine. That's no problem. Just don't make me go do what I don't want to do. So as we know, God deals with him and he finally obeys, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry as he throws attitude. And you always spent the week with a four-year-old. And so in my head, Jonah's there like a sassy four-year-old being like, there, God, I did it. Are you happy now? And you know what I realized as I read all this about Jonah? He was being a big butt. (laughs) But if God did it my way, then it would be fine. But if only God hadn't made me do this. But it isn't supposed to be this way. His big butt had him butted up against a wall with no way out but to spiral downward. So Jonah, he starts out on God's mission as a prophet, only to find himself on his own mission of the shoulds and the shouldn'ts. God should do this. They shouldn't do that. It shouldn't be this way. And since God won't do what he should do, I should do this in response. 
And there's this point when we get so caught up in what we want and how we want things to play out that we begin to steer our ship right toward our own goals. All of our big butts get in our way of God's calling on our lives. And it can feel great as we justify it. Think about Jonah. He could have gone to God and said, this is in scripture. You, you justify and redeem those who, who have been destroyed from their enemies. We, we can find ways to justify what we're doing. And as we do it, we're likely to find ourselves in the belly of the death, in the belly of death, wondering who turned out the lights. Because I don't care how many cute pictures you show me about that whale, there is no solid evidence that it came equipped with a candle. So like Jonah, our hearts, well, they long for things to be made right. And that, I believe, is part of our longing for God. We are made in his image, made for his purpose. And then as we come into this broken world, our hearts long for what is right. Though if we get off course, off of God's path of what is right, then we begin to push and pull and war with one another as a result. And so God calls Jonah out on this very behavior. And so with all of Jonah's resolve, he commits even more to his but it shouldn't be this way argument and now says, better for me to die than for me to live. And I thought, you know, it's no wonder that we never made it to chapter four when I was a kid at least. Because imagine trying to make that story poster cute and pretty for the kids, that feel good moment. We don't like this part. We begin to cover our eyes and peek out to see what's going to happen. Is, is God going to strike him with lightning? He maybe deserves it. And how in the world could this man begin to choose death? It's crazy making nonsense. Only I would argue that when we are so bent on our own path that we begin to refuse God's plan, that that is the very choice we are making. The road of our own wishes is the way of death. And when we look at God and say, no thanks, I've got this. Better for me to die than for me to live because I choose my own way instead. And suddenly, Jonah's looking a whole lot less melodramatic. The anguish of what is happening, it's so overwhelming to Jonah that not only has he committed to his thinking, he is swimming in his anger to the point of letting himself go over into it and drown. And we have the privilege, we can step back, we can read this whole thing from start to finish. And so we can track all these places that Jonah does this and be like, oh, watch this guy, it's a train wreck. But he's so close in, you all, he's so close and it's so passionate for him that his vision becomes distorted. So what I want you all to do is take your finger and hold it out in front of your face. And all of us have different visions. So hold it out to the point to where you can focus on it really clearly. You can begin to see the creases in your skin. You can even turn if you, if you can and check out that knuckle. Really check out your fingernail. And now keep your eyes focused on it and bring it closer and closer and closer to your face. And suddenly, is there one finger? Is there two? Close one eye and then the other. Well, I know I'm not moving my hand, but it sure does look like my finger's jumping around. And now look close on that, that knuckle. Can you make out the details? I can't. 
It's because I'm so close in, my vision is distorted. And when we aren't connected to God and his vision, then this is what happens as we distort our focus. And then it begins to close in and in and in on ourselves as our brain tries to rationalize and figure out what's going on. A realization needs to occur that God's plan and way of redemption is likely not the same as ours. God as loving and merciful, well, it sounds great when it's for us, but less great when it's pointed towards our enemy. Jonah hurls this accusation at God. He is fine with God being slow to anger for the Israelites, but not so great when that grace is extended to the people he can't stomach. And so the question begins to be, am I refusing God's call and mission because I am too busy refusing a situation? Jonah certainly was. It needed to be a specific way, and he couldn't keep moving forward with God. It wasn't the storm that threatened to kill Jonah because God was there to course correct. It wasn't the ocean or the belly of the whale that threatened Jonah's life because God was there to provide and save. It wasn't even those terrible, violent Ninevites who might take his life because God had come to redeem the Israelites from their enemies. The one thing you all set against Jonah was himself. This man of God, he had been sent to speak the Lord's words to the people, to set them on straight paths, and yet he was so caught up in his own internal dialogue and anger that he could not follow God clearly at this juncture in his life. That same grace that God offered the Ninevites is the same grace that he was offering to Jonah over and over again. And it's God's goodness and grace at work in our lives as each one of us at some point or another, maybe even now, are the ones who are lost. So there's a truth that Jonah throws out like an insult. And it is that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love to save his people from disaster. And the strange thing to notice about all of this is that it was the evil, terrible people, those people who repented and turned to God, while it was the man of God, the us, who dug his heels in. And so right when we think we're better than our Nineveh, we realize that without God's grace, we'd be lost to ourselves and the violence in our hearts sitting on the edge of the city with Jonah waiting for our own destruction. And we don't like it much. It doesn't feel great. I'm sure Jonah didn't love this conversation with God at the end. But God's corrective measures are what sets us out onto the right path. So if you've been focused on how things should be, how they ought to be, and it feels like the world is crashing in around you, and you can't see a path forward as life beats you in the head until you feel faint, you may consider that you're running it out on your own mission, and it's time to sit down and have a conversation with God. There is a mission to the lost, the broken, the violent, and the enemy even our enemy, who may very well be our own selves.
And these are the tough lessons for Jonah and for us that God didn't come to save us from what we find uncomfortable because he came to give us new life and restoration in him. So it's time to stop running from the God who loves you, who calls you as you turn and repent to be restored from the destruction that surrounds and discover a mission of sharing that same truth of grace and love that abounds with yourself and with others. And so the end of the book, it leaves many possibilities for the path of Jonah. Does he remain on his current mission for himself? Does he take the correction God gives him and and change his mind and change his ways? We don't know. God's question to Jonah resonates as we look at ourselves in the mirror and ask, does it make you happy? Does it do you well? Does it serve you to be so very angry at things not going the way you wanted? Jonah's answer was, yeah, it does me well, and I'll sit right here in death. But for us, the people of St. Luke, on mission, passionately pursuing Jesus as we offer hope and healing and wholeness and restoration to those around us. What will your answer be? Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord God, we just come before you now, thanking you so much for your word and our lives, your corrective measures. So we, it doesn't feel great. We don't love it. And yet we worship you. We are so thankful that you do this for us, that you love us so much that you'll call out and that you'll send us out. It's the Holy Spirit. We just ask that you would move in this congregation in the hearts of the people that we might see ourselves and see our Nineveh that you may be calling us toward. And that wherever we are, whether we are jumping up or limping up, that we might step forward and into your mission as your people. We lift this up, Lord, in your heavenly and holy name, Jesus. Amen.